Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Here we go. Welcome to The Water Cooler. So The Water Cooler is a show about marketing, sales, and technology. Each episode, we focus on bringing in advice that works. This week, we're going to get right into it. We're going to talk about how to scale your business. Now, one of the things that I see a lot in real estate uh, for real estate agents and small teams is that you can sort of hustle your way to a certain threshold. You can you can call cold call expired. You can follow up with leads really aggressively, and you can kind of get yourself in a position where your business is, is sustainable and to a certain degree successful. But in order to actually scale your business, mm-hmm. you have to have systems. You have to have operations. You have to have principles. You have to have strategies. You have to have so much more that needs to be in place to be able to actually scale that doesn't exist when you're simply in a position where you're just working for your business. So today, we're, we're honored to have AJ Hazi and Michelle Humes on the call today, both individuals who have, in their own right, in very different ways, have scaled their businesses. And we're going to dive into marketing and sales, and we're going to dive into operations and recruiting and, and training and coaching. And, and we hope that today you walk away with a couple of practical ideas to, to help you and your business and help you grow. So Chris, before yeah. we uh, bring on our guests here, my friend, sure. let's start the show mm-hmm. with good news. Some good news. I love that you always ask me for the good news. One of these <laughs> weeks, I'm going to make you give the good news. Because you said the North End in Boston is starting to open back up. It's starting to come to life. Yeah, we started. Yeah. To start we may up. actually have employees back in the office soon. But yeah. I'll give you guys some good news really quick on a personal note. So this week, my son turned 13. Mm-hmm. And to be Jesus, to be the father of a teenager mm-hmm. is just a crazy thing to think about. Like, obviously, I still remember when he was born. My son was a preemie. Mm-hmm. And he was born at three pounds. He actually dipped below three pounds after birth. And he's a smart kid. He's a sharp kid. Yeah. He's got a bright future. Fun fact. He always says fun fact. And he always has all these facts. He's so smart. I can't keep up with him. Jimmy, he already took the SAT. Mm. He got invited to this pilot program. He's in eighth grade. Yeah. Actually, he's in seventh grade when he took the SAT. And his SAT score was as good as mine from 12th grade. So he's a good kid. And you know what's funny is people, a lot of times people, they feel older because I turned 40, mm-hmm. you know, I'm 40. Yeah. And a lot of times people feel older through the eyes of their children because when your kids turn 13, it's like, oh shit, I got this young adult, you know, after next year, he'll be going to high school, but I don't feel old. I feel proud. So that's my good news. My son's 13. He's a hell of a kid. Lucas, I give him a big shout out on Instagram. Yeah. He got plenty of love. And uh, he's just, he's just smart. You know, he's smart. He's articulate. He's funny. He's passionate. Um, You know, now I have a daughter too. (laughs) And anybody that has two kids, you don't always have two good ones. So me and my daughter, we're a lot alike. We're the handful. We're the issue. We're the problem. My son is just like my wife, angels on earth. Well, it's good to hear, man. And, and, And cheers to Lucas. Cheers to Lucas. We're going to hire Lucas one day, Jimmy. Jimmy's Lucas is going to be your predecessor as, as CEO. You can, you can keep doing it until Lucas turns 18, and then we'll bring him on as a prodigy. But let me start with the first question, and I, I just want to, you know, we're going to talk about sales, marketing, coaching, recruiting, training, strategies, tactics. We've got a great rapid fire at the end where we'll give you guys five or six nuggets uh, to end the show with, but... What I want to start with, I'm going to ask you this first question, AJ. 
because you, you've kind of been there, done that, and I'll throw it to you as well, Michelle, but if you just had to answer a simple question, why can't most agents scale? The average income, according to the National Association of Realtors, is right around 50,000 bucks. Mm -hmm. So what, in your opinion, AJ, as somebody that has reached a really big scale, why do most agents fail at experiencing that extreme growth? So there's sort of two answers to get from 50 to the point where you're trying to scale, which let's just say you start building a team when you get to, you know, a few hundred thousand in GCI, but that leap from 50 to a few hundred thousand is all about lead generation. It's about being able to fill a pipeline. And I think a lot of realtors love the service aspect of it. They love the, uh, you know, being on the tools, but they don't treat it like a business and treat filling their pipeline as the priority. So I think once you get that, your main job is to, is to fill the funnel and to fill the pipeline. That's when you can take that leap from say 50 up to, and then you'll reach your own ceiling of complexity when you get to 300, 400, 500,000 different people kind of top out at different ranges. And then at that point you need systems and you need to start recruiting human capital. But really the big leap is all about understanding the funnel. Mm -hmm. And I, I would agree with that, Jimmy, because what I hear from most people that I talk to that have hit that ceiling the, the people that hit the ceiling, it's because they do their past clients in their sphere and that's all they do. Yeah. You know, they don't invest online. They don't invest in curator, boomtown, commission zane, Google pay-per-click, blogging, email marketing. They don't invest in leads. They're, they're yelling at Zillow instead of buying Zillow stuff. You know, like it, it's amazing how much the growth comes from growing your database is quite frankly, what grows your business. Michelle, you were a teacher. You got into the industry. I have stats on you because you were a client for so long, 11 million up to 48 million three years later. So you quadrupled over a three-year period. Same question. In, in your opinion, in your humble opinion, why do most agents fail to scale? Well, um, thank you for having me, first of all. Yep. You know, I love you, Chris and Jimmy, and um, so many fond memories with you guys. Uh, great stories we could tell um, about our times together. Uh, I think, in my experience, it, it truly is a division of an administrative or operational task mm -hmm. versus a sales task. And when I got real clear on who should do what and not going between, uh, we scaled very quickly. Yeah. Uh, and so for me, the second year in, I hired my first full-time assistant. Mm -hmm. And I'd done seven and a half million my first year. Um, hired my first full-time assistant. And so to me, the, the minute I could get out of the weeds of the administrative things and move on to that several hundred dollar per hour activity... Yeah. And ask myself every single time I was doing something, is this a several hundred dollar activity or is this an administrative activity? Um, and quickly get those reassigned and have a clear division. That's what took our business uh, to the next level and continues to take it to the next level. And Jimmy, my takeaway there just really quick is service doesn't pay as well as sales. You have to provide great service because you want people to be happy, but they both kind of said the same thing. Mm -hmm. If you get caught up in servicing the business, which doesn't allow you to generate leads or sales for the business. Yeah. It, it ties you down. And it's, it's funny because a lot of times as you scale, you lose that human touch. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't get to talk to every client. You don't get to hold every hand. You don't get to make every call. 
you might not even go on every listing appointment. You mm -hmm. definitely are not going to show every home to a buyer. Um, so part of it is letting go. And I love what Michelle said. What are the several hundred dollar per hour activities, income producing activities, mm -hmm. um, you know, delegate the rest. So I love it. So Jimmy, let's get into it. Let's well, talk AJ, I want you to speak to, you recommended a book to us that I want you to speak to that kind of, I think encapsulates what Michelle's talking about this idea of sort of the the innovator and the, the person who's actually executing. I want you to share that in a second. But the thing that's interesting about what both of you said was, um, I think the biggest lie that we tell ourselves as entrepreneurs and as real estate agents teams is that nobody can do it as good as us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think a lot of people who are individual agents who are perfectionists have this, 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 and it is, it's not, it's not the truth. It's, it's quite fr frankly, just a, a lie. We just convince ourselves that no one can do it as good as I can do it because I've been doing it for this long. And, and I think both of you are sort of speaking to that in some respects as well, Chris, is saying like, hey, listen, like you've got to admit to yourself that A, you shouldn't do everything and B, you probably aren't the best person to do everything. AJ, before we move on to marketing, because you talked about filling your pipeline and I want you to share some thoughts about how do you actually think about filling your pipeline? How do you sort of have that sort of sales first, sales obsession mindset? Rec talk about that book that you recommended, because I know that was a big you know, transformation in your own growth as an entrepreneur that really helped sort of frame how to think about scaling. Yeah, the book is called Rocket Fuel. It's written by uh, Gino Wickman. And for any of the old dogs on this call, you'll recognize the name Floyd Wickman. He was the, the old school sales trainer for real estate. Well, Gino's his son that actually helped him turn what he had in sales training into a, a real business. And he wrote a book called Traction, which was a really good operating system for small business. So I read that and I was really impressed. I implemented a lot of that stuff. And then the sequel to that is Rocket Fuel. And it talks about the relationship between a visionary, which most people who start companies are visionary. That's a type of person. And then there's an integrator who is not necessarily uh, the type of person who would start a business, but is very good at complementing or augmenting the visionary. Because the more off the charts visionary you are, typically the worse you are at, at details, right? You're either macro or you're micro. So, you know, the visionary is the, the guy that makes it go and the integrator is the guy that makes it stick. Yeah. And so you need both and you can't be both. And in fact, there are people, it's, but it's a, such a small percentage of people who are both sides of that coin. Yeah. But, and, you know, I mean, I, I listened to Barbara Corcoran talk and it wasn't, until, she wasn't able to score, uh, scale the Corcoran group until she found the gal that uh, you know became her partner in that towards the end, which she was the the integrator. So it's a crucial role. And I found a guy in 2012, and he's been a you know he's been the crux of our scaling since yeah. then. He adds all the systems. Well, I want to get into marketing in a second here, but Michelle, do you have that same sort of model where you have someone who's operations and because I'm trying to find the commonalities here, Chris, because mm -hmm. two very different styles of businesses. But Michelle, do you have sort of that same kind of model where it's you're the visionary, you're the, the leader, you're saying this, we got to charge that hill, we got to climb that hill, and you got someone behind the scenes who's figuring out exactly how to make that happen. Is that how you're structured as well? 100%. And we didn't scale to the growth that we have, which has been in the last 18 months until I found that person. Mm -hmm. uh, she's a 62-year-old gal that I picked up from the local Baptist church. She was running the pastor's schedule and then before that, she ran our local orthodontist office, and she was the person that was the first point of contact. And she closed every single person that came in to get braces. 
Yeah. Um, and I, to me, she was just that person that I could say, see, she gets me. She knows what I'm saying that I can't get on paper. I know what I need. I need policies. I need standards. I need procedures, but I just want to go get recruit another person. I don't want to worry with that. Somebody else figure that out. Yeah. So yeah, we, I would say our growth is by and large in part to her coming onto our team. And I hope and pray that she will stay as long, even though today I said, when she said, we got to get these recruits down before you go to your podcast thing, whatever you're going to. And I said, I'm really sick of you today. I'm really sick of you. I'm sick of that. I don't want to sit there and do this. You know, I just want to go do the next thing. So, it, yeah. it, and I'm, I'm listening to that, um, to that book again on, on audio right now. Same yeah. thing again. Well, Chris, which one of us is the visionary and which one of us is the integrator? Neither. That's our problem. Our problem is we have two visionaries. Yeah. But, but here, here's really the takeaway. Here's what I'm hearing both people say. Yeah. If you want to be the CEO mm -hmm. and if you want to be the visionary yeah. and the leader and the innovator, the COO right? Whatever you call them, you know, you can call them whatever you want to call them. But if you don't have a COO, you can't be a great CEO. Yeah. And yeah. you've got to have that. We've got that at Curator, Jimmy. You've got to have lieutenants mm -hmm. that can do the real work. Yeah. And if you don't have that, everything falls apart. It's a house of cards. And it's so it's true. It's interesting to hear them both saying the same thing. It's interesting that they're both listening to the same book. Yeah. Yeah, um, the, two, the two books were Traction and the follow-up was, was Rocket Fuel. And yeah. so true, even Tim Harvey, just a shout out to Tim Harvey, who was a director of operations. It's a, it, you know, when we have conversations, it just, it's just like, give me the specifics. This is exactly mm -hmm. what I'm going to do. Not interested in like the thing, just interested in how to get the thing to become a reality. And that, and that just works for people who are or entrepreneurs. I, I, I do want to get more. Jimmy, he was a Marine. Mm -hmm. He is a Marine. He's There's a no fluff. Is There's made for the Marine Corps, yeah. Man. Yeah. He doesn't come into it with the big, excited personality that we bring to the table that we no. try to. No. He does the real work. Yeah. And I, I think, and I guess my question would be to follow up just to stay on this thread for one more minute here before we talk about marketing and filling that pipeline, is how do you find that person? Because if we're saying, if we're all agreeing that that individual is essential to, if you've hit the ceiling, and AJ, you said this earlier, Whatever that ceiling is for you, 300, 400, 500, right? Whatever that ceiling is, once you hit that ceiling, you, you got to find this individual, right? Ideally, before you hit that ceiling. So AJ, I want to pass it to you here for a second. How do you go about finding that person? And then what might be a way for you to validate early that in the interview process that this is the right person? Because I think a lot of people, if they find the wrong integrator, it, it's, it's, a, it's a multi month or a year setback. So just give us your thoughts on, on finding that person. And maybe how do you know it's going to be that right fit? Cause both of you have that. And I think it's important that everyone watching today knows how to, how to identify that for their business. Yeah. So one of the things I've hired lots of people in my 20 year career, and I used to hire people based on chemistry. I used to sit down across the desk. If we got along, if it was someone I wanted to have a beer with, and I thought they had the aptitude. I'm like, all right, you're going to fit in around here. Let's get you hired. Yeah. It's the opposite of that when you're trying to hire an integrator. It should actually be a little bit awkward. The conversation uh, should be, it, these people are not natural connectors. They're not, they don't relish the social situation. They're not the type of people who a visionary or a high D or a high I person, if you follow DISC, 
you're not going to connect with this person right away. There's going to be this sort of disconnect. Mm-hmm. So to go back to the disc analysis, you're looking for somebody with a, with a C uh, mindset. That's that hyper analytical, uh, someone who really likes to, um, you know, obsess about the details and put systems in place and they like structure and they like order. Um, mm-hmm. This is not the type of person that you're going to get all dialed up on your vision. They're not going to like drink the Kool-Aid with you. They're going to actually poke holes in your theory. And that's a good thing. But, you know, for, for me, I mean, I happened, he was actually working in a coaching company and I, he, we developed a relationship and I was able to, um, you know, recruit him to come move out West. He was living in Toronto, my guy, but we've hired lots of people since that have come into operational roles as we've scaled. And the way we found them is on Indeed, which I think is North America wide. Yep. And when you're hiring them, we do a disc personality profile right away. And I'm looking for a CD or a CS uh, in the personality profile right off the bat. And I'm weeding out anybody that's a high I or anybody that's a DI, they're gone because they are the, they're too much like me. Right. And, and for, our, for, our, for our audience who doesn't know what disc is, just because, and I'm, when I'm saying our audience, I'm referring to me and Chris right now, because yeah. we, we've heard disc, right. But we don't like, I, I, we're, Chris and I are not going to disclose our hiring process, but like, let's, <laughs> let's talk about what a DISC is. Like, just I mean, we use Craigslist. We don't use it. <laughs> All right. So here's the simplest way to, to put it down. So you answer a series of questions. It's a very simple question, a uh, questionnaire that they answer, and then you score it and it'll tell you they're going to be a primary letter and then a secondary. So two of the letters are going to be in the positive and two of the letters are going to be in the negative. Mm-hmm. So to tell you what they are, let's say that a D and I and S and a C are all people. Okay, and they're standing in front of a wall and the goal is to get on the other side of the wall. Well, a D would be the type of person that would try to run right through the wall. Mm -hmm. I would be the person that would recruit the other three and get over the wall collectively. The S would would wait for someone to come up with a good idea and then they would execute it perfectly. But they would wait and be told what to do and how to get over the wall. And the C would analyze why the fuck we need to get on the other side of the wall at all. Excuse my French. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That might be the best explanation I've ever heard of that before. Um, Michelle, yes. just to transition here, because I want to get your reaction to this as well, Chris. But when you think about finding that role, because I think this is, this is a huge takeaway. And I don't want to rush past this, Chris. Um, do you have a similar style here to AJ, which is you're looking for someone who's a polar opposite? Yeah, so we have a similar hiring process. We go through a company called Wise Hire, um, which does the, it automatically does the disc testing and puts them actually per real estate into all the different categories you can hire for. And then you can cross put them into a different category. It's quite, it's quite good. Um, and I would say I have had lots and lots of SCs, CSs. Your integrator has to have a little bit of D or a medium, a bit of D because they have to be able to have enough guts to say to you, hold it right there. Right. And so a typical SC or CS is not going to want to do that because they like order and they like their tasks and they like, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's wonderful. They make the best kinds of operational people, but in all of my hiring and I've made more mistakes hiring, I think than in any other mistakes I've made, Just because it's a really steep learning curve. So I want the audience to know if you've been through seven assistants, (laughs) you're doing great. So have we all, you know, like we've all had these hires that have lasted a week or Mm -hmm. a day. And then you're like, okay, well, that didn't work. Next, you know, back to the drawing board. Um, And so 
for me, I had to have somebody that was a little bit older that was okay with saying, just with me being in the business such a little amount of time and having a really big personality, I had to have somebody that said, wait a minute, that is such a great idea, but do you know what it actually takes to execute that? Like, do you know what it's actually going to take me to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because it's true what AJ said. They have to be able to poke holes in what you want to do because it's the, you know, and keeping the money in line as well. You're somebody that's like, that's a great idea and this is what it costs. So let's make the game plan about what that looks like. Yeah, Jimmy, you know, we call it a devil's advocate. You know, we always want people that'll DA. So we say DA, let's DA this idea. It could almost be a Debbie Downer. Your brother comes to mind, Jimmy. Yeah, he does. You know, we can't put an idea out on the table that John doesn't tell us won't work and why, yeah. which we appreciate, though. It's it's one of those things where you go from it bothering you to it enabling you. But, Jimmy, what they both said at the beginning is you got to have leads. You got to fill your pipeline. Mm-hmm. Let's talk marketing. Yeah. This ain't a Tony Robbins show. We ain't talking about discs the whole time. Sure. So I'm interested to know. What are the marketing tactics, tricks, techniques, platforms? You know, I'll let you ask the questions, but I'm just, I think marketing and lead generation is the key to scale. Yeah. Um, You know, you had a conversation this week with a very well-known guy in the industry. Yeah. And the reason they're selling this many things is because they have this many leads and this many people calling the leads. Yeah. So let's segue into growth by marketing. Yeah. So, and for everyone who's listening right now, we're talking about, so like, and AJ started with this, fill your pipeline. And I think this is actually one of the things that we're talking about scaling. We're not talking about how to build a $100,000 or $200,000 business. We're saying, how do you scale? Mm-hmm. And this idea of being obsessed with sales. And the person you're referring to is like, you know, Tom Ferry and give a shout out to Tom Ferry. He, he is one of the world's best salespeople. And and you know he has a lot of opinions about sales, and, and he knows he knows what he's talking about. And he, um, you know, he talks about this idea of like just being out there and focusing on sales. So AJ, from your perspective, you're doing three hundred thousand dollars in revenue right now in GCI, and you you, you look at um, the horizon. And you say to yourself, well, you know what? I feel like I've got the right people in place. I need to be able, and I got the right systems in place. I want to get to a million dollars right over the next eighteen months. What are the lead generation strategies that you would pursue to go from three to a million? Yeah. So the first thing you got to do when you're at 300,000 is you got to decide what percentages am I going to allocate for different things, for human resources, for lead generation, and on and on it goes, right? And so now you're going to start looking at this like a business owner. So I think initially a minimum of 10% should go back into lead generation. And I think until you're at a million dollars, you need to be putting all of your money into lead gen over and above branding. Your lead gen will do some of that branding for you because it's branded lead gen, but yeah. billboards and radio and TV and all that stuff is premature, in my opinion, if you're at 300K. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to take 30 grand a year, 2,500 bucks a month, and I'm going to put it into lead generation, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to get out an Excel spreadsheet and I'm going to try and get really systematic about this and go, okay, for my 2,500 bucks, how many leads can I generate? Well, Let's for round round numbers, let's say that I can generate $10 leads. So I'm going to have 250 come in, right? Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to say, okay, on these 250 leads, what's my best way to uh, get in contact with all these people? So, I mean, that's 
250 leads a month. That's a pretty tall order for one person to, to do that. If you're the rainmaker, you're doing everything. So at that point, when you have that much lead generation, it's time to probably have a buyer's agent initially. This is sort of precursor to having an ISA doing it, but having a buyer's agent start to come in and, and work these leads. And you're going to need scripting and you're going to need a sales process, but you're going to have somebody else working these leads for you following your system with a goal of trying to get 10% of those people to come in and meet you in the office. So their goal is to book an appointment with 10% of these leads. And with those folks, you're trying to take maybe 20% of the people who come in and bring them safely to a transaction. So I think you could positively expect to get at least 1% conversion on those leads right off the bat. And then as time goes on, as your database grows and your skills get a little better, you'll get to two, three, and sometimes 4% conversion on those leads, but you should be tracking all of these things. But it's all about cost per lead. It's all about conversion. And you want to build a system around trying to, um, you know, create a repeatable, predictable stream of business off of that, uh, that initial 2,500 bucks. And as it grows, it continues to scale. When you're doing 50 grand a month worth of business from your leads, now you've got five grand a month to put back into lead generation, right? Because you're using the same 10%. And that's how it ends up scaling. Why, why not 15%? Why not 20%? Why not 25%? Well, you're going to have a cost of sale now, right? As soon as you add, you add another body. I mean, if you're doing it all yourself, if you're going from a hundred to say 300,000, you can afford to spend more. You can afford to spend 25% uh, on lead generation. But as soon as you kind of reach the ceiling of complexity for yourself, where you're selling your 50 homes a year that you can do and service properly, and now you're looking to scale your business, you're going to have a cost of sale attached to that sale. And I highly recommend not doing 50%, which is a fatal error that a lot of people do. Um, Give them 50% on the stuff that they bring in, Mm -hmm. but you've got to carve it up a little bit different when it's the team generated business. Yeah. Do you think about that, Michelle, in the same context, when you think about investing back in the lead gen, because what you're saying here, structurally, AJ, you're saying a percentage of the sales, right. Needs to go back in the lead gen. So you're not just cashing it out and, and just sort of dumping it back into the business in different ways. Do you think about it the same way as a percentage of the sale dumping back into lead gen? Oh yeah. No. And I, my second year when I hired that same assistant, I hired curator Mm -hmm. and, um, I really wanted to focus on growing a big database and that's what I was able to do by hiring curator Mm -hmm. and just, you know, with through Facebook, I had lots of different ways of Legion that you guys have, have taught me over the years. Um, and I did it a little bit different than AJ. I actually started because all of my business up until then was just my sphere. Like most agents, I think they start selling to their friends and people they meet through a sign call or open house, that kind of thing. And, um, I got a showing assistant or a showing partner. And that was actually a great strategy for me because I could have somebody, I freed up my time somewhat on the weekends to be back with my family. So worked pretty long hours during the week and still showed some, but then when it was time to buy the house, it came back to me, um, along with an assistant was able to keep that train moving down the track until it was time to truly like full on start a team mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. And my showing assistant, Ryan is my top producing buyer's agent now on our team. And it's just been really fun to see him absolutely crush it. So, well, just, just, just to get specific here, Michelle, like mm-hmm. when you think about the reinvestment back in the Legion, um, do you think about it in the, in the percentage basis or do you say like, or do you just sort of set a budget quarterly? Cause I think, I think right now, and this is where we can get really practical for agents who are listening right now. The number that people choose to spend on advertising and marketing is oftentimes made up. Is oftentimes just sort of, they're sort of like, you know, I should spend like 
you know, five grand or whatever it is, right? They just sort of like, they set this number. There isn't a logic behind it. So AJ's saying his logic is 10% of GCI. Is your logic just like, how, like, how do you think about that in terms of the investment? I absolutely have this basically the same roundabout number. I have always followed Gary Keller's million dollar real estate agent numbers that when I was building, I was at Keller Williams at the time. And that was what I built most of my million dollar team off of um, when I started a team last year. So absolutely. I erred usually on the side of a little bit more on salaries around 12% because I wanted some of my time back and just as a mom to really young kids, but yes, absolutely. I have as I've scaled, I have scaled the marketing dollars in and the lead gen dollars in the same way um, with regards to buying leads or that kind of thing. Chris, do you think people do normally do that? Like, if you think like an individual agent who wants to scale, do you think they are actually thinking about their business the same way, or do you think they're maybe approaching it differently? Well, they probably should. You know why? Because it's easier. You, then you don't have to think about it. It's very, it's very granular. It's ten percent of X goes back in. Because you're right, Jimmy, you could get on the call with 100 different agents and say, what's your budget? And they'll say, well, (laughs) you know, it depends on what the ROI is. Yeah. Right. Well, if the ROI is positive on an investment, your budget's going to clearly end up being higher. So I think you do need to be disciplined. I like the percent approach quite a bit. I don't I agree with AJ. You go up to 50, you're probably going to not have a lot of profit left. Yeah, you're gonna be um, running with the Uber of real estate here, Jake. Yeah, but here's what I would be interesting to ask because I was I was stalking you guys, knowing that you were coming on, and we're you guys are talking about buying leads and investing in growing through lead generation and and trying to figure out that conversion rate, but there's also a new world we live in. Like Michelle, you're not spending money to do videos, but you're doing a lot of videos. AJ, you do a ton of video stuff. You have the ability to blog. You have the ability to do a podcast. You have the ability to do content marketing. You have the ability to do social media. There's Instagram, there's LinkedIn, there's TikTok. So I'm curious, like, how does that play into your marketing and Legion? It's more of a branding thing. It's more of a, a it's more marketing than advertising. It's more content than maybe leads. But how, how does that fit into your mix, Michelle? Because- I've seen your stuff. You mm-hmm. do a ton of social, you do a ton of video and that's not quite so linear. You know, you shoot a video, you get a customer, just like how before it's like you get a lead, the lead becomes an appointment, the appointment becomes a sale, the sale gets reinvested back into the business. How do you think about kind of the other stuff, the free stuff, the, the mm-hmm. non-paid stuff? Well, and I think that's such a great point because there are so many people out there who are afraid to spend money on leads. And quite frankly, if you don't have a team that you have to supply a certain amount of leads to because Mm -hmm. you're running a big team and that's how it, you know, it works. um, There are so many free ways to do it. Like I will tell you, if you leave a listing appointment and they were referred by a friend or they saw your sign in the neighborhood or whatever. And you pick up that phone and you say, I am so happy we got to meet. Thank you so much for your time. I'm looking forward to working together, blah, 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 or do it before you go on the appointment, send them a video text. I guarantee you no one else is going to send a video text before their appointment. And that costs nothing, but being just okay with how you look on a video, people won't do video because they don't, they're waiting to look better. And the funny thing is, and I've said this on the curator stage, bad news. That's how you look. 
So just get over it and shoot the video and move on because you know what? It makes an impression on people. They, mm-hmm. they realize when you call them, hey, Chris, I'm so excited to list your house. I'll be there tomorrow at five, just confirming. And I know we're going to have a great experience together and I look forward to working together. I'll see you soon. You know what that means to Chris? Chris is like, shoot, this girl cares about me. I'm not just a listing appointment. I, she, she said my name, you know, whatever. You might have the kids in the back of the car. That, that perfection of what, we're, what we expect in the industry or what we expect a listing agent looks like that's really great, it's overrated. We're just people like they're people and they, they love to relate to us. So to me, the best form of lead gen is just getting out and being gritty and doing the videos, doing the community things, being the mayor of your community as Chris and Jimmy taught me. You know, those kinds of things cost nothing but a little bit of time and a little boost in your self-confidence to say, I'm good enough to do this and be on video. It's cool. Yeah. AJ, how do you think about video and ROI? A lot of people, they, they can't quite calculate the ROI. They don't know which types of videos to film. You've done a, a ton of video. Do you think about video the way that you mentioned the billboard and the mail? You know, Or do you think of that as like a no-brainer, something you got to be doing? And, and just to be really tactical, like... What are the videos that you've done that you're just like, man, that worked? Yeah, there's, there's a couple of cornerstone videos that have paid off big time for me. It's all about establishing authority and you know, demonstrating your competence. And the medium of video is something that when people watch it, they're like, wow, this person's got way more confidence than me because I could never do that most people when they see a video, right? And so it elevates you right away. And then if you can speak intelligently about your subject and it's something that people want to know, like I happen to have a niche in investment real estate. So a lot of my videos tend to skew, uh, you know, talking about how to successfully analyze a cash flow property or how an apartment building works with, in terms of, uh, you know, how you finance an apartment building or how to flip a property effectively. Those videos have paid off very well for me because uh, people who are searching, you know, if you keyword them properly, they end up finding these videos, they watch it, they get value from it, and then they call you. And it's a different type of a lead too. When they call you after watching a video, um, they usually are a little like sheepish when they come to you. They say, uh, I don't know if you would have time to meet with me, but if you could carve off maybe 15 minutes, I would really appreciate it. And it's like this, you're on this platform now, right? And I get a lot of of these types of just come list me or, 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 you know, lay down business because they've been watching or consuming the videos. And when they show up, they say, I've been watching your videos for a couple of years. And so sometimes, you know, you are playing the long game. It's, it's not something like you put out one video and they back up the Brinks truck to your office. Yeah. You have to kind of do this and submit to the idea that you're going to put out informative content for a period of time. One that's working for me really well right now because of the whole COVID-19 situation is giving people every two weeks, a real time update on the stats. And so I'm just pulling a few stats and pulling sales, comparing them to this time last year. I'm pulling the sell through rate so they can see how many listings have come on. And what I found is although sales are down, so are listings. So the sell through rate is kind of the same or the absorption rate. And so letting people know that the supply and demand dynamic hasn't really changed, even though it's crappy for realtors because half the deals aren't happening. There's still the same supply and demand, which means there isn't downward pressure on price yet. So when I speak like that and I give people the lay of the land, these are three minute videos. I put them out every two weeks we're getting tons of come list me business right now because they're like, okay, these guys are on top of it. They're not putting their heads in the sand. They know what's happening in the market. I need that level of expertise in my life. Yeah. So that's helping out big time. Chris, a couple of things I want to react to there. 
something that Michelle said that just I wrote down and something AJ just said that I think is so important to reinforce here. Mm -hmm. The first thing is, is that when Michelle said that profession or looking professional is overrated mm -hmm. or appear like that, 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 that like everything's got to be glossed over. Yeah. It, it, you know, it, it, like that is something everyone has just got to get over. You know, I was talking to a really smart agent last night in Facebook. We were having a conversation and as someone who I just have a tremendous amount of respect for, and she wants to make a decision for her business. And she goes, you know, Jimmy, I'm concerned about the optics of this. And my reaction is like, fuck the optics. Like if it's the right decision to make, make the decision. And I think that's what we are in real estate. I'm not sure what coach or what guru told real estate agents, you got to be perfect. But whoever that is, is just wrong, right? And I think this is, this is it's ingrained in the, in, the, in the DNA of real estate agents that everything's going to be appear perfect. And from a consumer perspective, we don't feel that way. And, and, and I think that's what Michelle is talking about, this idea of it's overrated to, 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 to be non-human, to feel robotic, and to feel like disconnected. And I think we have to embrace that. But the thing that AJ said that just jumped out to me that I wrote down, I can tell you right now, this is what people care about especially people who, when they have options and they're thinking about, you know, they have choices and especially in a low inventory market, Chris, where people have literally just countless options is, is competency. Mm -hmm. The thing that I look for when I hire a professional is, and this is the question that's going through consumers' minds, Chris, is they're saying, that person knows something I don't know. Mm -hmm. And if you can somehow through marketing mm -hmm. convince or compel someone not in a braggadocious way, but more in just a, and just simply sharing your knowledge that you know something they don't know, you yeah. instantly establish value. Well, and not to mention, you can do that in the written form too. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't nope. have to be a video. We have a client in Vancouver, his name's Dan Wordle. If people look him up, danwordle.com slash blog. And he wrote a nine minute article. It takes nine minutes to read it. And he put all the outcomes of the COVID-19 virus on the housing market. And it's what AJ said. When I read it, as I read it, I was like, there's no way that you would want to work with anyone but him. And Jimmy, it's an important point that you're making because we are in an industry where the consumer is too empowered. The consumer thinks that they're the doctor. They think they're the lawyer. That, you know, that we live in a WebMD world where people want to diagnose themselves. And so the consumers, they think realtors are lazy. They think that they're overpaid. Mm -hmm. They think that all they do is open the door and then collect a check. They just put a sign, a sign in the yard. They put it in the MLS and they collect a check. And so what are you putting out in your marketing that proves that you're smarter than them? I think that's a good challenge. And Jimmy, on the, on the sake of not having to be professional or not having to be perfect, like you're wearing a dry fit t-shirt. <laughs> like, like you're the CEO of a multi-million dollar company and you're wearing like, listen, you're like ready to go Sandra, to the Listen, Sandra got me this from Nordstrom's because I, I tried trunk club, but I didn't like it. So I said, hey, Sandra, I want you to be my trunk club. And, but uh, it's really no, because you know we we you know we're very laid back as a company. We don't dress up. We don't wear shirts and ties. And I, I had a realtor one time. He came up to me. He's like, "Man, I wish I could wear red Jordans like you do." Mm. And I'm like, "You can." Yeah. Like you yeah. can. It might actually give you a differentiator. I used to wear nice shoes and a suit. Nobody told me I look good. 
wearing Jordans and jeans and everybody takes pictures of it. So anyway, I do think there's something to, you know, one of the words that people use when they reach out to us and when they talk about our brand is that it's very relatable. So I think what it is, AJ, is you got to find that balance between being a human being and being relatable, but then it's kind of like, okay, let's talk about what we know. Because when we start talking about marketing, when we start talking about funnels, when we start talking about Facebook ads, when we start talking about emails and CRMs, we know that better than anybody else knows that, but we don't have to be stuffy while we do. Well, let me, let me ask a question, Chris, is I'm related to what I'm wearing. Chris likes to always comment when I'm wearing a t-shirt on the shell. Let me, let me ask a question that's related to, because I think this is something you talked about AJ and Michelle, which is once you start to develop these leads, I think there is, there's something hap- that happens that I, I, I feel like is something no one's talking about in real estate. And, it, it, and, and I'd imagine it's a massive pain point. Mm-hmm. And it's a problem that is just so fundamental that if we don't address, it creates this culture that can be toxic within a team. And that is that buyers, agents, and even to a certain degree, ISAs, don't value the lead. Yeah. And, and, and you know, AJ, both you and Michelle talked about like taking 10%, 12%, 15%, putting that money back into lead generation. That's, that's an investment from the organization that you're taking from your profit, your bottom line, and you're investing in future growth. And, and generally speaking, it's more beneficial to them than it is to you. How do you get, and this is for AJ, and we'll, and we'll get you away in this as well, Michelle, like how do you get your agents to value an internet lead? Because I guarantee that people watching right now, Chris, mm-hmm. they, you know, we have a client who, who runs a brokerage and the, the, the agents say, oh, the leads are shit, right? They'll say stuff like that. And like the agents like, or the broker's like, no, they're not. Like, I, like I, I'm paying for these. They're on the website. They're viewing five pages. They're, they're on the site for six minutes. Like, how do you overcome that challenge where agents just simply, because it's not their money, dismiss the lead as if it's, you know, not worthy of their time, AJ? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of training that goes into just making them understand that there's no difference between like there's no Glenn Gary leads. Like they're all just people who have submitted some information because they've got an interest in listings or they've got an interest in, you know, some value exchange that we're offering online. There's no, on mass, there's no difference between good leads and bad leads. That's in our heads. That's not real. But in saying that, I actually haven't had that much success in getting a large group of agents to really value internet leads. So I give my agents appointments. They don't actually take leads. I have ISAs that hand out appointments. And they understand that by the time they get that appointment, I'm already $500 invested. So that's pretty heavy. And then there's accountability around that. So we call it the opportunity quotient. So they have one job at that appointment. They're meant to sign them to agency, whether it's an exclusive agency for for buying or whether it's for listing. Their goal through that appointment is to get them to commit. That percentage is tracked. And then after the commitment, the percentage of successful completion from contract to close is also tracked. And those two numbers divided or multiplied into each other is what we call their opportunity quotient. If it falls down too low, they don't get any more appointments, mm-hmm. right? If they can't, if they're not converting above the OQ is 30% for our team. If you're not, if 30% of the appointments that you get booked for you don't turn into paychecks, you don't qualify. You qualify for training. What's the high end of that, AJ, for your best performer, the one you're, you know, buying gift cards for, taking out to dinner, right? Like what's the high end of that number? 
It's interesting because when agents are new, they come through our training, they sign everybody at that initial meeting. They'll have like a hundred percent contract rate and then they'll have like a 10 or a 20% close rate as they get longer in the tooth and they get more skilled. What ends up happening is they self-select to not work with a whole pile of people. And so their contract rate will go down to like 60%, but then they'll have like 80% of those people. Mm -hmm. Is it me? Is it him? No, that's you. That, that's, that's AJ. I was getting that math. I'm going to pass it to you, Michelle, here. We'll, we'll yeah. roll with this. He's saying, he's saying that basically probably around 70% appointment to, yeah. you know, close. So, M Michelle, same question, which is getting people to appreciate the leads. And what AJ is saying, Chris, just to be clear, is that he does not give his agents lead. He, get, he gives his agents appointments. Same yeah. model, Michelle, or something different. So we do it a little bit differently. Um, first of all, the way I handle it is every single time there is a positive example of it working, mm -hmm. I call it to the attention of the whole team with a picture, with a picture, yeah. with the story, with the amount of money they're making, everything. And mm -hmm. I, I put it all up on the big screen. Look what worked. This person got called within five minutes and now this agent... And I give the whole example. The other thing I do, and this is, I think, really important when you run a team. And I think, I think the, one of the biggest mistakes team leaders make is making the assumption that their team thinks like them. Mm. And I think that when you get over that and you realize these people don't think like me, they do not think like me, and I have to talk to them in a different way than I think. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a crucial error, I think, that people make. So I say a lot of the same things over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. You will find me, it's in my recruiting, same thing. Every single week, there he is. Every single week at my team meeting, when we're doing the housekeeping, I say the exact same words. Do you know an agent like you? Have you had a great co-op? Mm -hmm. Have them call me. Let's talk to them because we want more people like you. It's the same way. Hey, if you don't call your lead within five minutes, you're actually stealing from your neighbor and you're stealing from company dollar. And we don't do that because we're a team here and you signed up to be committed to a team. So let's, so I have those very frank conversations because there is, if you let that creep in, all these leads are crap. This is crap. I'm not calling them. I want to pick a certain price point. You know, these things very rapidly can get into an organization and take over. And before you know it, you've got 20 people bitching about the quality of leads mm -hmm. and they want to leave the team. So yeah. you, you got to lead with that positive in my mind. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite quotes that I've ever heard is it's not show friend, it's show business. Mm -hmm. And that's what both of them are saying. Like one of the things AJ just said, it's one of my favorite things I've ever heard on the water cooler. And we've done a lot of shows. So good stuff, AJ. He said, if your production falls below a certain point, you don't get leads, you get training. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? He's not kicking them out. Mm -hmm. He's willing to coach them back up. Sure. But you have to have standards. You know what I mean? We all have this like high end goal that we want people to hit. Yeah. Right? Where's that bottom where you would cut them off? And Jimmy, some of the, some of the nicest people, Michelle's a very nice person. AJ seems like a really nice guy. I was talking with Amy Youngren recently. She's a very nice person. But if you're not doing a deal a month, you're not going to be working with the North Group. Mm -hmm. Like there, You have to have 
standards. It's not show friend, it's show business. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's true, Chris. And I think there's a there's a human way to do that, which is setting the expectations up front, not, mm-hmm. not retroactively, which is saying like, listen, like at the end of the day, this is what we're all about. And that's what you're really saying, Michelle, which is like, when you recruit and when you pull people on the team, there's no surprises, which is to say that people, and this is what I love about what you just said there, Michelle, is like, there's a certain level of standards that you hold yourself to. And where, where I want to end the show here, because we don't have that much time left, and we could talk to you guys for hours about this. And I think there's just, honestly, as I look at my notes here, other takeaways here, there's just things that I think you both have shared that are, are just fundamentally different than the way that most real estate agents think and real estate teams and brokers think. So I know our audience guy has got a ton of value out of this. But Michelle, I, w- I want to turn to you to give you s- sort of your final word here, which is around culture and people, which is scale. And this is, let's be real, Chris. This is one of the hardest things about growing a business. And one of the hardest things about, um, you know, at a certain point, the CEO, the founders, the visionary, you become less important. And the people that, that work for you now become sort of the, the you know, the collective uh, combination of those individuals become the, the company that you are, for better or worse. So, Michelle, when you think about that from a culture standpoint, because what you're talking about is, is, is positivity, is ownership, is, is coming to the table with a solution. How do you, especially in the midst of everything we're dealing with right now, how do you ensure that the cult, you don't lose culture as you scale? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. Um, I actually think it's easier to, when you scale at a bigger level, to maintain culture. Okay. Uh, the hardest part of our growing our team was going from a really small team, a tight-knit team two years ago that we started with five agents, to a team that has 30-plus people now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and going from that was actually the hardest thing we've done because not everybody chooses to think big. And so what I would say about culture is make sure in that interview process, you're actually saying, listen, some people choose to think small. Some people choose to think big. And you're not saying you, you're saying some people, Mm -hmm. we choose to think big. Um, And so that no matter what, no matter if I have to roll out different splits because a 50-50 split no longer works with a huge team and huge overhead and that kind of thing, or I have to roll out, you know, I know this was the policy before, but it doesn't scale. So we've got to change the policy. When you can come back to that and you get these individual people that want to come and say, well, that's not fair or whatever, you say, listen, we're playing big here. And so I want you on board. I love having you on the team. And I need you to think, flip that switch of the mindset. To me, that's where culture has been king for us. And partnering that with stand in principle. We stand in principle in everything. If somebody asks for something or wants something done, what's the principle? What's the standard in our organization? And if it doesn't match up with that, you know, if you go back to the standard, Mm -hmm. it's real easy because you take the emotion out of it. And I think that's a, a really hard lesson that I have had to learn in real estate is take the emotion out of it, go back to the principle and say, well, this is the principle and I can stand by that. So that's what rules our culture. Um, it's so much bigger than me. It's so much bigger than any people on our team. Uh, we, have, we have an obligation to serve at the highest possible level to save people from what we know are other people in the industry that aren't doing a great job. It's our, it's our job to, to stand in principle when it comes to that. 
And, and shout out to, I think his name is Ray Dalvio, Chris, maybe you can fact check this for mm-hmm. me, but he wrote the book Principles, which mm-hmm. talked about how much easier it is for you to, to build anything of significance when you take the time to develop what your principles actually look like. And, and it just makes decision-making 10 times easier and also alignment and finally, of course, culture. AJ, same question to you before we wrap you guys right now, which is culture. You grow a business, and I like what you said, Michelle, which is like, you know, we, we set it on the front door, so therefore we can reinforce it when, when times get tough or there's a, a growth opportunity or, or, or something that happens in the business where, you know, we need to just come back to it. AJ, I know culture is super important to you. Uh, you know, we've had conversations about this in terms of your team, your, your team in terms of what you've done there. How do you think about culture in terms of maintaining it and reinforcing it as you scale? Yeah, culture for us is so, so key. I mean, it's the main reason. I mean, people will, will come for opportunity and they'll stay for culture. And so there's a number of things that are important to us. But, you know, how, going back to the conversation before, I don't know where I got cut off when I lost my internet signal. We're in a lightning storm here, so I apologize for that. But um, to, to have those standards, they need to be the team's standards. And the, the way that the team looks at it is we pool our resources as a team. And, you know, if we're scaling together, 10% of what we do goes back into lead gen, which means the more we do, the more lead generation there are, the more appointments there are, the more abundance there is. So everybody's aligned in that idea that everyone on the team needs to be executing at a high caliber. And then to the next point is we as a group see ourselves as a cut above the industry. I mean, and the nice thing about the industry is it doesn't have a, when you look at the median, it's not a group of real high performers. So when we, we don't consider ourselves average agents, we consider ourselves a cut above. We try to dress a cut above. We try to you know, get our skill sets to be a cut above what the average agent would be. And then so everybody kind of culturally celebrates that fact that we're not like the others, right? We're intentionally kind of different. And then we've also weaved in and every one of our meetings starts with gratitude. And I feel like that's like a huge cornerstone to culture is to get everybody to be really grateful. So you're not whining about the crappy leads or the crappy market or whatever. You're starting every meeting with gratitude. And then we finish every meeting with appreciation. And that was something that Michael taught me. And it's really set the tone. You know, we have all of our agents appreciate somebody else on the team. And it really creates this really strong environment. And then the biggest thing, probably to get everybody rolling in the same direction, is to have a goal, a team goal that is based not on what the CEO wants or not based on some arbitrary growth number, but it's based on the work done to develop their personal business plans. So when we sit down with them and I do 10 year vision exercises with these guys and then I figure out, okay, well, given your 10 year target, what would be a good goal for next year and how are we gonna do it? And ultimately the whole team's collective, you know, goal, their collective vision for themselves is what makes up our team's goal. So the team's goal has a lot of meaning to the team. And then you add a killer prize. If we hit that goal, you know, we're gonna go to Cancun. So I mean, a couple of years ago, I took 40 people to, to Cancun and did an all-inclusive and it was awesome. I mean, we bonded like crazy. Uh, the good news from there is that we've kept setting the goal so high after that that I haven't had to swallow that pill for a couple of years. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping that we do again here in, in 2020. Yeah, Chris, I, I think from my perspective, um, it is one of the things that not a lot of people talk about, and, and we appreciate you guys sharing your thoughts and, and your feedback on this and your lessons on this, which is that something a curator we, we've had to address head on, which is that as a business scales, as you attract more people, as you grow, as you go through trials and tribulations, um, it, 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 you know, focusing on the people in which you serve, 
which is the people that work for you, the people who are putting their, their blood, sweat, and tears into the business. Um, I think a lot of businesses right now who operate in this space of real estate tend to think too short term. And if you, if you start to, to zoom the lens out and you realize it really is all about the people, you end up in a position where you start to actually invest in culture. And I think people pay lip service to this. I will say one thing, Chris, on this topic, um, and I want you to share your thoughts on this too, for sure. But like one of the things that we've had to do at Curator is ask our employees, how's our culture, right? And actually solicit feedback because our perception of how we think people think about the business, it can be fundamentally different than actually the reality. And I think that willingness to ask people, ask your employees, like how well are we actually doing, um, is something that may open the eyes, AJ and Michelle, into maybe sort of opportunities that, 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 that don't exist right now that you're not really focusing on. So Chris, you know, I want you to be able to wrap the show here, but you know, give us your thoughts on, on, on some of maybe your takeaways from today's show and, and, and certainly talking about culture here, because that's something we think about and talk about a lot here at Courier. Yeah, well, I think to be really transparent, this year it's been hard. I mean, when you have the negative economic news coming out every week about layoffs, companies we look up to and admire laying off half their staff. Starbucks is closing 400 stores. That's when I get nervous. Oh, man. <laughs> If Starbucks is closing, Waffle House, Jimmy, Americana is closing their doors. COVID-19, remote working, right? Like, you, you look behind you, Jimmy. The office is empty, right? Yeah. So I think that this year, it has been more of a challenge for us personally than ever mm. to maintain that exciting, vibrant culture, right? When people are cutting their expenses and when people are not able to work together in the same room and grab the whiteboard and brainstorm and everything's on zoom and everything in the media is doom and gloom. So my advice to, to you and my advice to us is you've got to double down on culture, the harder it gets. Mm -hmm. I actually think when things are moving up into the right and everything's growing and there's a lot of opportunities being created, that's when culture, like Michelle said, it's a little easier because things are going good. You know what I mean? But when things are going bad, it's, it's actually like you're over here trying to put out fires and you're over here trying to keep the business going and you're trying to grow the business. And you, you, you literally turn, you kind of turn your back mm -hmm. on your staff, which is never a good strategy. So yeah, it, it's, you have to double down on your staff. Um, it's, there's a thing called a net promoter score and you can use this for your customers. It's a, it's a simple score. NPS, but think about your employee NPS, right? That's something that more people have to check. Well, AJ, Michelle, thank you guys so much. Uh, this has been a pleasure. You know, AJ, I've never had a chance to chat with you before today. You're a sharp guy. I'm going to make sure I follow you everywhere online. I'm going to make sure I stalk you and learn more from you. Michelle, you've been a client. You've been a friend. Uh, you've been an inspiration. So thank you both for being on. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Right on. It's been my pleasure, guys. Cheers, guys. And Jimmy, we're going to wrap it up with rapid fire. <clears throat> We've got four or five quick tips for people. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you want to share your screen for this one or not. No, no I don't know. I would, let, me, let, me, let, me just, let me just say yeah. one. Because I'll, I'll have you set rapid fire. Um, 
what I found so interesting about just talking to both Michelle and AJ was mm-hmm. I know, you know, we've also have scaled a business. So we've gone through it ourselves. Yeah. But I think for the people who are watching right now, I, I want you to pay very close attention to the very the specific details that they, they said throughout the process, whether it was, whether it was making a decision to find uh, someone who's going to be an implementer, someone's going to be like out there actually executing, mm-hmm. or it is this idea of thinking sales first and growth first, or whether it was this, this idea of allocating a certain percentage of your GCI towards uh, reinvestment. And then AJ was talking about this as well, like just tracking things down, tracking the metrics that matter. They call them KPIs, right? Key performance indicators. I don't think the vast majority of real estate agents have key KPIs. So I think each, you know, as you go down and you maybe hopefully rewatch the, the, the interview today, pay very close, close attention to the little, little details, Chris, because what I found in, in terms of scaling is it, it, it's the boring stuff that actually makes the, the difference. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes we talk about the big, exciting stuff, but like in terms of scale, like measuring your lead to appointment rate to your appointment rate to contract sign, contract sign to close is a very boring thing that most real estate agents don't want to do. Mm-hmm. But as you heard AJ say, it's, you know, the indicator that helps him drive growth. So uh, just great stuff. And, and we appreciate Michelle and AJ being the show. Chris, set up rapid fire for us, my friend. What is yeah, rapid fire? Just to piggyback what you said there, what I found that's interesting we work with great people um, and the people that actually really track meticulously, they actually usually are doing really good. Yeah. Like next week we have a gentleman named Dan Chin on, he's a spreadsheet animal. He tracks everything. Yes. He generated 269 appointments from Facebook leads only yeah. in 2019. And there are people watching this that can't turn any of their Facebook leads into an appointment. I remember Connie Carlson came up to me at her conference and she had a bunch of numbers written down on a piece of paper. She said, this is the ROI of our curator website. This is the ROI of our curator Facebook ads. This like when you track and when you measure, you you can improve. That's really the key. So rapid fire is quick hitters. Less than five minutes. Let's try to go three minutes, Jimmy. Okay, let's do it. You're up first. The first one, and this is a this is pages.xyz. I hope that's not a, it doesn't seem like a porn site with the ending. <laughs> I've never heard of a dot xyz. Okay, let's, let's give me longer than three minutes. Okay. Pages.xyz. So what is first, it? Dot xyz is actually the most popular extension beyond dot com. That's a that's a fun fact for which is crazy because Google owns really? it. Um, so pages.xyz is a place in which you could find beautiful uh, websites that could help inspire your marketing. So what the, this gentleman does is that he, he curates the best you know, uh, SaaS websites and product websites and consumer websites and e-commerce websites. And I'll just give the audience just some, some perspective on how I think about this. Is I, go, I use a service like page, pages.xyz not to find websites to copy, Chris. That's, that's useful. But what I look for is I look at these websites and I look at the headlines that these companies use to describe their products and services in literally three seconds so the consumer wants to buy them. Mm-hmm. And then I take that insight and I apply it to all of my other marketing campaigns. Every post I share, every email I write, every story I create. So I'm always about, and you guys have heard me say this many times before, Chris, 
I always look outside of real estate to find inspiration and bring it back into our space. Pages.xyz is a place for you to find inspiration of the best e-commerce, SaaS, you know, consumer product companies out there and hopefully help you develop, uh, develop better marketing, my friend. Yeah, the next one, Jimmy, I can't wait to share. I'm interested to get your reaction. TikTok has ads. TikTok has ads. We're an advertising company. Yeah. We do Facebook ads. We're doing Google ads. We do Instagram ads. We, you know, retargeting ads, right? If you guys go to ads.tiktok.com, and what I thought was interesting, let me read you their headline, Jimmy. Okay. Connecting brands today with the consumers of tomorrow. Yeah. Which I thought was very interesting and very really like transparent. They're basically saying that you're going to connect with the people that are going to buy down the road. So let me very, Yeah. So I don't know if real estate agents should be doing TikTok ads. But I want to get a little budget. I want you to give me a little budget. We'll get with Raj. We'll run <laughs> some TikTok ads. Okay. And we'll see what happens. But just to be clear, some of the largest brands in the world yeah. are already investing in ads on TikTok. Ads.tiktok. Right, let, me, let, me let me give my hot take here. First, yeah. first thing, Chris, do you need revenue tomorrow or do you need revenue today? Right? Like, I don't give a shit about the, the consumer of tomorrow, which is three right. years, five years on the run. The second thing is, and this is something that's important. This, this, is, this is my honest reaction. Mm-hmm. Tom Peters, uh, along with uh, Warren Bennis, did a study on this. Consumers' behaviors change dramatically as they age. Mm-hmm. So in other words, what you use and what you follow when you're 18, i.e. when you didn't have any money and couldn't buy anything, is mm-hmm. going to change and evolve as you enter into 25, 35, 45, and above. Mm-hmm. So this idea that somehow someone who's 18 years old who might buy a house in six years is going to be still using TikTok six years from now is just flat out wrong. So I love Raj. Raj is my guy. But I'm not getting on a TikTok train. I'll give you a budget for it, Chris. All right? <laughs> Prove me wrong. Here's what's interesting. I, I learned about TikTok ads through a Facebook ad. Yeah. So, so TikTok is running Facebook ads yeah. to promote the fact that they sell TikTok ads. So I think that kind of tells you everything that, that you need to know. I'll set the next one up for you here, Chris. Uh, why in the world should I pay for email? I got a Gmail accounts completely free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a new trend. There are two companies that we want you guys to check out. One is called Hey.com. H-E-Y.com. The yeah. other one is superhuman.com. And everybody has a free email. Mm-hmm. Email has historically been free, but there's always a cost to free, right? Maybe there's not as much privacy. So hey.com is actually from the guys who created Basecamp. It comes out in the next week or so. You can get on the invite list. Yeah. Superhuman, fun fact, is from the guy that created Reportive. Yeah. So there used to be a plugin for Gmail called Reportive that would find all the information about the person that had emailed you and put it in, uh, put it next to their emails. But this is a trend. Are people going to pay 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 30 bucks a month? Hey.com is all about privacy. Mm-hmm. Superhuman is all about efficiency. So they're both very cool technologies. They're getting lots of buzz. I don't know if it'll take off. I think power users... I think early adopters, I think 
technology lovers yeah we'll go down this path i think most people will still use gmail jimmy the next one is a podcast that you listen to uh there's a podcast from a guy named eric reese Mm -hmm. the podcast is called out of the crisis yeah he interviewed the ceo of airbnb airbnb laid off 25 percent of their staff Mm -hmm. why are you recommending that people listen to this interview so Eric Reese is the author of a, a, a book that every person who's listening right now should download immediately and read. It's called The Lean Startup. It's a book that changed the way Chris and I think about running a business and certainly impacted every decision we made early in the early days. And he has a new podcast, as Chris mentioned, called Out of the Crisis. Uh, Brian Chesky is, I think, Chris, one of the modern day best CEOs out there. So in the, in the podcast, what Brian Chesky talks about is I want you to all to imagine for one second, I want you to just envision this for one moment. Imagine running a company that is doing billions of dollars of revenue, that is the darling of Silicon Valley, that is about to go IPO and, 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 and have this massive payoff. And then because of a hundred year flood, a black swan event, you've done everything right up to this moment. The business goes from, you know, 1,000 to zero. Mm. And, and, and this is what this guy has had to deal with. And I think the way he has approached not only addressing the reality in which he lives in, but then also planning for the future, I think every person listening right now needs to pay attention to what this guy has to say. He said something in the podcast, I won't give it away too much, that just stood with me. He's like, in a moment of crisis, you have to act short term and think long term. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something all of us are having to sort of balance every single day. So out of the crisis, Brian Chesky, it's a podcast by Eric Reese. Listen to it. I, I got an, an insane amount of takeaways from it. I think our audience is going to love it, Chris. Yeah, Jimmy, I'm going to save the, I'm going to save the last two items for next week. I'm going to sandbag them. Okay. I want everybody to go to YouTube and subscribe, subscribe on Facebook. By the way, iTunes and Spotify, really any podcast player. We syndicate the podcast, the audio version. Please subscribe. Please leave us, leave us a good review. You can catch the water cooler live Thursdays at 5 p.m. We have hundreds, not hundreds, but over a hundred <laughs> yeah. interviews. People like Ben Kinney, people like Gary V, people like Scott Stratton, Jay Bear. We have interviewed some of the smartest people in the real estate industry and outside of it. Put us on your podcast. Listen while you work out. Listen while you walk the dog. Listen while you're sheltered in place. Cheers. Thank you guys for tuning in.